May I Inquire, the Michael Silver podcast. As you can probably guess from the title, I'm your host, Michael Silver. I'm an attorney and a partner at Schutz & Bowen, a full-service business law firm with offices throughout Florida. May I Inquire is my chance to have conversations with thought leaders of different backgrounds and across various industries. I'll be talking to my guests about many things, but mainly law, leadership, and life. And more specifically, how the law impacts their professional and personal lives. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Ian Drysdale. Ian is the Chief Executive Officer of One Inc., a leading digital payments network for the insurance industry. One Inc. offers one single platform to process digital payments for both premiums and claims, thereby offering insurers both inbound and outbound payment convenience. Ian has more than 25 years of senior leadership experience with some of the largest payments companies, including First Data, WorldPay, and Elevon. Ian also previously served as an executive in residence for Great Hill Partners, the private equity firm, where he identified and pursued investment opportunities in the financial technology sector and advised Great Hill Partners fintech portfolio companies. A native of Canada, Ian obtained his MBA in international business from Florida Atlantic University and now lives in the Tampa Bay area. Ian Drysdale, welcome to May I Inquire. It's great to be here. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Let me start uh, with the subject of fintech because you are the CEO of a fintech company. I know that fintech stands for financial technology, but beyond that, tell us what fintech is. Yeah, so fintech simplifies financial transactions for consumers or businesses, making them more accessible or more generally affordable. They democratize payments, they democratize banking. So if you think of all of the advances of Silicon Valley of the last 25 years and how uh, the world has changed with the internet, it's taking all of those advances and bringing them to financial technology and banking. Generally speaking, banks aren't on the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of change and making things as easy as buying something from Amazon. And uh, that's why companies like Stripe or Square uh, or neobanks uh, like Chime have come about to fill gaps and to provide a better experience for consumers and businesses. Why do you think that banks have traditionally maybe lagged behind a little bit? And do you think they're catching up? And do you think they'll, they'll get ahead of the curve, so to speak? I think some banks are much more savvy about either serving fintech or competing themselves than others. Uh, we work with the Silicon Valley Bank. It is very flexible. JP Morgan is known as very flexible with fintechs and uh, with consumers. There are a number of reasons that the average bank is not competitive with financial services in terms of being online, being millennial, zennial savvy, and making it really frictionless. Uh, one is when banks get up in the morning, they are anti-risk. Uh, they're also very focused on regulation, and uh, they're generally speaking fighting the last battle of regulation. Uh, so after 2008, there was a tremendous focus from the regulators on can banks survive a recession and stress tests. And after the problems with real estate uh, that occurred over the years, uh, there was regulation about real estate lending, as an example. So what, what's happened is the banks have become very, very focused on risk, and they are not as focused on regulation. There are some large banks and some innovative banks that are focused on consumer experience, client experience, business experience, but they're the minority. A lot of them actually don't try to compete head on. 
they actually just try to enable fintechs, and in that way, they stay relevant. Ian, can you give me some examples of the ways in which individuals and businesses are already using fintech? Yeah, so I think we're all familiar with fintech. It's all around us. Uh, we just don't tend to call it fintech in everyday life. So Venmo is fintech. Uh, the Square Cash app is fintech. Automated portfolio managers like Wealthfront or Betterment or trading platforms such as Robinhood, those are all fintech, right? Also, it applies to cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin, uh, Dogecoin, Ether, these are all fintech and it's all around us and it's hot, but not everybody calls it fintech. We hear a lot in the news about cryptocurrency, and that's certainly one component of fintech. From where you sit on the payment side, how do you see cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, fitting into the payment part of the overall fintech industry? So I don't think we're there yet. I think that currently the role of uh, cryptocurrency is twofold. Uh, one is cross-border. It's a really easy way to move money across national borders. And the other uh, is a form of speculation. Th those are the primary two use cases right now for uh, crypto. There are new use cases coming up that are really attractive. Um, one is central bank digital currency. So that would be the U.S. Federal Reserve as an example, or it's... Uh, foreign equivalents. Instead of putting a bunch of uh, serial numbers on dollar bill, they would be issuing cryptocurrency as the U.S. dollar, but it would be the U.S. dollar. So it would be a way to track them to make sure that they were valid. Everybody would know where every uh, digital dollar was. I don't think that cash as we know it, in other words, greenbacks, real paper cash, would ever be approved today. So if somebody came up with some idea called paper cash and went to the federal government and said, hey, I've got an idea. How about we print currency and it's completely untrackable and anybody can use it for any purpose and you could avoid taxes all day long. You, you couldn't get cash approved. And almost all other forms of currency are tracked. So I see it as a future where... Uh, it'll be easier to do international transactions and know that those transactions are completely valid. And that will be a future use case. In terms of fintech overall, what do you see as some of the advantages and what do you see some of its disadvantages being? From the advantage standpoint, fintech companies are very focused on UX, UI, user experience, user interface, and making it just quick and easy and frictionless. Frictionless is the word that comes up over and over and over and over again. Make it really easy to do a transaction, right? And something that we're good at at One Inc., it's something that most fintechs are very good at, is creating a great user interface. Where the struggle is we're still dependent on banks uh, for the most part. Now, some of the fintechs have solved that problem by becoming a bank. So Square has become a bank. Uh, Optum, which is part of United Healthcare, uh, has become a bank. But assuming that an entity doesn't do that, and we certainly haven't done that, then you have to have a sponsor bank to allow you on Visa and MasterCard rails, to allow you on uh, bank transfer rails, that is ACH, and, and other electronic payment rails. So you would say that fintech is bank-dependent at this point to a large extent, it is, but it walks away with the vast majority of the profits. So, for example, Square charges 2.7% for, for Visa and MasterCard. I don't know what their exact cost is, but let's say for fun it's 1.7 or 1.8%, right? 
So that's 100 basis points. It's, 1%, it's a full 1% of margin. I imagine that they're, charged, that they're being charged by their bank less than 1% of that. So Square's walking away with 99% of the goodness, and whatever bank is sponsoring them is walking away with 1% of the goodness. So they are highly dependent on their bank at one level, but the vast majority of the revenues and the profits are going to go to the fintech. They're, they're still realizing these overwhelming majority of the profit, even being so heavily dependent on the bank. That is correct. So that almost sounds like an advantage to me. Talk to me about what you see as some of the disadvantages of the fintech industry upon both businesses and individuals. Well, I, I don't see many disadvantages. It's possible that a fintech will not put the best interest of the consumer first or the best interest of the account holder or transactor first. Uh, it happens occasionally, but it is critical that a fintech have ethics and be uh, on the up and up. Banks have a duty to consumers. They have the Fair Lending Act. They have all kinds of acts to make sure that banks don't take advantage of consumers. And fintechs don't have as many of those, although the banks tend to pass those on in their agreements with the fintechs. So uh, it's always caveat emptor, right? It's always buyer beware, and you have to know who you're doing business with. Sounds, as a lawyer, like fintech is not as heavily regulated as a lot of other industries or a lot of other financial businesses but I sense that that may be coming. And so one of the themes of this podcast is talking about how the law impacts business and particularly my guest business. How do you see the law coming uh, around to maybe catch up with developments in fintech? There's been talk off and on in Washington about extending some of the banking rules over to fintech. I think that the government is also afraid of cutting off a good thing. Um, some of the largest unicorns in the world are fintechs like Stripe and Square, both come to mind, and there are a number of others. So the government's going to have to act cautiously to not squelch all the innovation that's occurred. Others in China recently that, that are, are huge, uh, Alipay, part of Alibaba, have been squelched recently by the Chinese government. So that's a cautionary tale that uh, you can have these massive firms becoming default payment types all over the world. And with uh, enough government intervention, that goodness won't, won't be around anymore. Ian, you have worked in fintech for, for most of your career. I was wondering if you could explain how you got involved in fintech and what drew you to the industry. So in college, I had done some sales and I worked for IBM as a uh, marketing support assistant. I was an intern. And I graduated in Canada, in, in Quebec, uh, and I wanted to move to the U.S., and we did. Um, my folks lived in Pennsylvania, so I started cold calling CEOs of local companies. And I uh, cold called the CEO of PNC Bank uh, for the region, hmm. and he hired me, and he said, well, I've got three positions open, and I need somebody who's comfortable making cold calls and, and selling uh, like yourself. Uh, and um, he offered me three different roles, and one of them was quote-unquote merchant services, which is accepting electronic Visa and MasterCard, and I had no idea what it was, and I said yes, and soon I was running a multi-million dollar merchant services portfolio, and that, that's how I got involved. At the time, it was a backwater of banks. If you were any good at a bank, you would go into lending, and that's where the big dollars were, so... 
I didn't know that at the time. And I was there two or three years. And one of my vendors, Envoy, which is now part of Fiserv, hired me. And by the time I was 27, 28, I was the product manager of their major product line. Do you sense that fintech is becoming more prominent within banking institutions as opposed to lending in terms of a potential source of profit to banks and other financial institutions? So banks have to lend in order to make money for the most part. Uh, there's there are fewer than 1% of banks that have a goal other than lending. So they, they prefer to have, say, 50% lending and 50% other fees. They realize that their businesses are in jeopardy. What we see at One Inc., and we service uh, property and casualty insurers, which is roughly 2% of the U.S. economy. What we see is that we just keep winning business. So it's critical to banks to partner with the major fintechs in each industry. What's happening is that software and payments are merging. And we're seeing that in every industry. With One Inc., where we are the leading player in the property and casualty business, we do all of the claims. So we push all the money out when your car gets dinged or your house gets flooded, and we pull all the money in for premiums for over 220 insurance carriers growing at, call it 40 to 60 a year, and at a 50% plus growth rate. Ian, you are the CEO of One Inc. Why don't you tell us what One Inc. more specifically does and talk about its products and services and how One Inc. is carving out a niche in the fintech industry. So One Inc. is the leading payments network modernizing the insurance industry. And let's take a look at what that means. So we're all customers of property and casualty insurance companies. Think of it as home and auto insurance. So when you see ads in the Super Bowl from Geico or from Progressive or from Liberty Mutual and so forth and so on, those are all property and casualty insurance companies. I think we're all familiar with that. We see ads on TV all the time for property and casualty insurance. All the time. All the time. They're is in the neighborhood of $700 billion a year of premiums in the U.S. that go into property and casualty insurance companies. Home, auto, we also do workers' comp and we do life insurance. But then there's money paid out as well. So what most consumers don't know is that the ratio is in the neighborhood of 60 or 70% of premiums are paid out, come in the door, as we pay $200 a month for car insurance and then are paid out the door because people get into car accidents or uh, have a flood in their home or whatever, or whatever, it, may whatever be. it happens, it okay. is. So we have to pay the money out. So you take that $700 billion and you add 60% to that and you get $1.1 trillion. So I'm looking at a $1.1 trillion market, which is call it 50% checks. And those checks need to be digitized. Why? Right? Because consumers demand it. Because a zennial or a millennial does not know what a check is. They don't understand it. And some of the processes are incredibly slow and painful. And uh, from a legal standpoint, cause lawsuits in and of themselves. So let me walk you through an example. If your home is damaged more than a certain amount, let's say it's damaged $30,000, dollars $100,000, right? Then that's going to be what's known as a managed claim. So after you and your adjuster decide you know, how much it's going to cost to fix your house, 
then not only do you have to sign the check coming from the insurance company, but also the mortgage company has mm-hmm. to sign it. So say Bank of America is the mortgage company, right? And the contractor has to sign the check. So three people have to sign that check. That is normally a four to eight week process in, in, the, in the industry. In the traditional check-driven world. Right. And just imagine, so your home's flooded, it's damaged, you have a hole in your roof, there's a blue tarp on top of the roof uh, after a hurricane. Uh, we're in Florida, so we can all relate to that. And you're sitting there getting angrier and angrier. You're hot, it's steamy in your house, you're getting mold, and you're just getting angrier. I've been through this recently. Okay, so what happens is you drive up and down the street and you see a major law firm on a billboard and they're like, call us if you have a claim. And then the cost of the claim is 10x because the attorney understands what they can get from the insurance company. So from a carrier's standpoint, settling that claim instantly and getting a sign-off from the consumer instantly is incredibly important. So what we offer is the ability to have that multi-party claim signed off within one business day. Uh, and that closes the claim. Um, it reduces the chance of a uh, uh, of an attorney getting involved, even though the consumer's already agreed to the amount. Uh, and it means that that home's getting fixed just about instantly, rather than that home being fixed months and months later. And so I'm I'm thinking other advantages might be things aren't going through the mail. You don't have to wait for things to happen in series. They can happen at once. Uh, Checks are not being returned. Delays are not going on. It seems that there is a speed component, an efficiency component, a security component. Yeah, I, I would put it slightly differently. I mean, there's a dopamine component, right? People want instant gratification. Okay. Um, I often say to my team, can you imagine an Instagram where you clicked like and it took three days to show up? Nobody would tolerate that, right? We all expect if you hit like on your fa- favorite social media that it's going to say like for all of your friends instantaneously, Right. So imagine waiting for a result that takes four or eight weeks. People just won't tolerate that, especially millennials and zennials that have grown up completely digitally. So what we're offering is the chance for a consumer who's talking to a claims adjuster and the claims adjuster says, we're thinking $5,000. The consumer says, that's great. When can I get it? Right now, before you're off the phone call, your phone will buzz because you've already received the money. And that will make a consumer really happy because insurance companies are nothing but, um, you know, a list of terms and, you know, sort of a bureaucratic thing that we go through until the day we need them. And when the day we need them, they pay out instantly, then that consumer is thrilled. They're going to stay with that insurance company. They're going to recommend that insurance company. That is a completely different experience from the historical experience. Is that where the the frictionless nature of fintech comes in, in terms of a transaction between an insurance company and its policyholder? Yes, absolutely. So can you imagine being in Kansas or Indiana, right? And your home's knocked down by a tornado. You're on your mobile phone with your claims adjuster and you have nowhere to sleep. Or you don't have a vehicle and all the ATMs are out of service. I mean, this is what happens. I mean, think about Hurricane Katrina, right? 
Uh, imagine if somebody could push a MasterCard to your Apple wallet or to your uh, Google wallet that second while you're on the phone. Mr. Jones, I'm really sorry about what happened to you. Can I give you $5,000 right now so you can look after your family? Get a hotel room, get a rental car, all that's, of that. That is correct. And immediately, One Inc. would process an issue, I'm guessing, a, a what do you call it, a digital credit card? Yeah, so uh, we would issue a virtual card at that point. We can push it to your debit card. We can do a variety of different things to get you the money. But One Inc. is invisible to the consumer, you would know it as one of our clients. Mercury Insurance is an example. We have 220 carriers, so it would show up as your favorite insurance company. We were talking a few moments ago about a lot of the financial aspects of fintech, the banking, the regulatory aspect, and all of that, the moving money to a digital card, a virtual card, whatever the case may be. But what we haven't talked about as much is the second half of fintech, the tech part. And so could I ask you to talk about what role technology, software, the internet plays in your company, in One Inc., the company you lead? And do you consider One Inc. to be more of a financial services company or more of a technology company? Uh, or would you rather just say both and make it easy? Yeah, I, I would say that we're more of a software company that supports payments. Uh, we solve problems for insurers, for uh consumers and for their vendors. Uh, we have uh, in the neighborhood of 500,000 vendors that we pay for insurance companies. So basically uh, every auto body shop in the nation, we pay lawyers uh, on, God, God bless you. on settlements. <laughs> uh, we pay doctors when, when there's a payout to a doctor on, on an accident, right? We solve a lot of problems. So during COVID, we got so many phone calls from CFOs of insurance companies that used to cut their own checks. They actually had check machines inside their offices, if you could imagine, mm. that would print checks. And they had to get away from that. They had to get fully digital. So we solve all kinds of problems. We pull all of this together for an insurance company. So we're a one-stop shop where they can provide a world-class Amazon-like checkout experience, payment experience for their consumers using modern payment modalities, whether it's Apple Pay, Google Pay, PayPal, Venmo. What do you see as the future of One Inc., both in terms of products, services, growth? Looking ahead, as I'm sure you do, where do you think One Inc. will be in a few years? So there's a big change happening in payments globally right now, and it's happening at a slightly different speed in each nation, and that is the switch from uh, payments taking two or three days, like your paycheck, for example, takes a couple of days. Uh, you probably get it on the day that you're expecting, but uh, Shutson would send it a couple of days before, right? And so there's a shift right now to real-time payments. And there are three or four competitors in the U.S. There's something called FedNow. There's something called Zelle, which we see advertised on TV. Uh, and there's something called real-time payments, which is RTP capitalized, which is a product of the clearinghouse, which is owned by the major banks. And all three of these do the same thing, which is when I send you money, Michael, you get it in a couple seconds. And that's a big change in the industry. So uh, this concept of waiting two, three days for money or two, three days for a refund, is just going to completely go away. Every Consumers will demand that when they have a refund and they're talking to somebody on the phone, 
that the money hit before they, they get s- off the phone. That they see it in their account before the end of the Be- call. Before the end of the call. Like, I'm not letting go until I see the money. How do the I account. know I'm going to get the refund if I don't see it? That's correct. I mean, is there any other way to do business, right? Yeah. So, um, or if, you, if you're selling something, uh, until the money's in my account, I'm not going to accept it. So the, it's going to be a fundamental shift, and that's why I was kidding about dopamine earlier, is... Um, payments are going to happen instantaneously with the business transaction rather than being a lagging item. So as you do provide any kind of service, even law services, you could at a theoretical level be paid instantly. You've been the CEO of One Inc. for a year now. Yes. Since taking over the role of CEO, what would you say the biggest surprises have been, both good and bad? So I think I was surprised by the wonderful culture that I walked into. Uh, It's a tremendously good culture. Uh, We have uh, ethos that we stick to. So the biggest one is rise together. So we all pull each other up. Uh, The average age is in the low 30s at One Inc. Of your employees. Of my employees. So it's a very millennial-based culture uh, at One Inc. So we're all here to make sure everybody is succeeding uh, and if somebody's having a, you know, a tough project or a bad day, we're all here to pull everybody up. Uh, and the entire company is intolerant of anybody who pulls somebody down from, from the bottom up. So that rise together is a big thing for us. Uh, wow everyone, we're always trying to provide more than the client expects. So wow everyone is one of our key sayings. Think big, work small uh, is another one. So we're always trying to work on the big picture, which is digitizing all of the money and insurance. Um, but we have to work with each individual client to, to get what they want. So that was a positive surprise was, wow, this is the best culture I've ever worked for. Mm. Uh, and I felt really, really good about that. I didn't really have any bad surprises uh, when I started at One Inc. I, I think that I was really impressed by the amount of opportunity that we have, uh, we don't have heavy competition in the space. So we have to go really fast to stay ahead of what our clients would like. In addition to your role as, as CEO of One Inc., Ian, you are also an active investor in various other businesses in the fintech industry. What is guiding your investments and what do you see beyond just One Inc. as things to be on the lookout for or things that are interesting to you? Right. So I have a number of other investments in the fintech industry. Uh, so far, so good. Knockwood, they've been terrific. One of the best is Kushki. Kushki is slang for cash in Ecuador. Uh, Kushki provides uh, Stripe-like functionality for inbound and outbound payments for Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, Mexico, and Peru. I have good friends, uh, Aaron and Sebastian, uh, who were with me at Heartland Payments years ago. And they founded Kushki. It was recently valued uh, over a billion dollars. And uh, those guys are on fire. They're growing over 100% a year with a billion dollar valuation. I'm lucky enough to be a board advisor for them since um, their start uh, in 2017. So that business is just, it's on fire. It's just, it's, it's terrific. I'm an investor in Infinisept. They're in Denver. And they provide the payment rails for uh, software companies to do digital payments. And they're very good at that. Uh, there's a flavor of fintech called a payfac, a payment facilitator. Uh, Stripe would be a good example. And uh, they enable software companies to do the full functionality themselves of, 
of, of electronic payments. What are you looking for when you make investments in the fintech space, Ian? So I'm looking at category killers. I don't want to invest in one of five or one of nine or one of 20 companies in a given segment. I'm looking either for the one company that's going to take all the marbles or the one company in a new segment. Uh, I'm looking for post-revenue companies. Uh, Please don't bring me any companies that are no more than a PowerPoint. The companies have to be post-revenue and doing several million dollars of revenue. I'm a big believer in uh, Michael Porter's five forces theory. Michael Porter's a professor at Harvard. He looks at the relative power of competitors, suppliers, customers, uh, and the differentiation. And um, so I'm looking for entities that pass the Michael Porter five forces test. So are they going to be able to handle suppliers? Are they going to be able to, to keep the suppliers from taking away their profits? Are, are, are the customers going to walk away with all the profits because the customers have all the power? What's the relative strength of the competitors? Do they have a long-term play? Do they have the wind at their backs? Do they have the wind under their wings? So you're, you're looking for these societal changes and you want to leverage ones that you think are long-term societal changes and get two or three going at the same time. If you can get two or three major societal changes behind an idea, then you're headed in the right you're direction. You're headed in the right direction. So One Inc. is taking one of the more traditional industries, which is property and casualty insurance, and driving it light years forward to give consumers that instant feedback, that, in, that, that frictionless capability. Um, it's leveraging generational change. It's leveraging... Um, the change of money from days to moments. So anything that, that is going to provide a solution to multiple societal changes is a much more interesting investment than a me too in an existing industry. I know FinTech must run into a lot of legal issues and we've talked about changes that are coming, but in terms of regulatory aspects and what the government may do in terms of balancing uh, keeping the engine running versus making sure it's it's controlled and legal. What are legal issues that One Inc. runs into on a daily basis? You know, we don't run into too many. We're, we're very lucky. The reality is that the, the one thing that we watch carefully is state insurance agencies' regulations for given states. So they have rules about payments. Uh, that's especially true about workers' comp. So... Uh, given payment has to arrive in a certain number of days, or we have to be able to provide certain options in payment. Maybe we have to provide it via check, or we have to give the option of check. So th- there are a variety of regulations that are that vary by state amongst the 50 states, and we have to follow all of those regulations. So I would say that that is the thing that comes up the most. We watch for rules around convenience fees. We provide convenience fees for about half of our clients for their uh, insurance payments. Uh, The other half, they absorb the cost. Uh, We watch the rules around them, which have continued to change uh, over the years. We do not see many other issues. We occasionally have seen somebody imitate a vendor or try to move a bank account, those kinds of things, you know, fraudsters, uh, but it's been very rare, like one small one a year. How often do cybersecurity or privacy issues come up in, in One Inc.'s business? So privacy does not come up much. We promise to the carriers that we're going to keep data private. Cybersecurity is huge. 
Talk about that. Um, well, we're moving a lot of money. We're moving in the neighborhood of $35 billion a year, growing between 50 and 100%. That's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, we have a CISO, a chief information security officer, and we try to use best-in-class capabilities to avoid the kinds of things that can go wrong with a payments company. We actually do not retain any card numbers. Um, we encrypt everything. We we use third-party tokens from major financial institutions so that we're not actually sitting on the data in many cases. So we, we do what we can to make ourselves not only a really difficult target, but a target with nothing inside the vault uh, to go grab from us. We are constantly updating everything we do. We are HIPAA compliant. We're PCI compliant. That's payment card industry uh, rules. And uh, one interesting thing about PCI is that the rules become more stringent every year. So PCI, unlike HIPAA, HIPAA was set in the law years and years ago, and it hasn't Hasn't moved. changed much. Hasn't, hasn't changed much. PCI moves every single year. So every year the bar gets a little bit higher and we have to do a little bit more. So we're very cautious uh, about uh, how we move money and the instructions we provide to banks to move money. And uh, we try to stay way ahead of what's necessary and make ourselves a, uh, a fairly hard target. Nothing's, nothing's perfect, but we, we, we do our best. Well, just like your insurance company clients manage risk, sounds like a lot of what you're doing, particularly on the software side, is managing risk. That's correct. And one of the themes of the podcast is, is leadership. I know that One Inc. is based in California, uh, but I believe it has employees spread out all over the country. And I know you live here in Florida. How do you lead a team that is not physically together? I know that over COVID, a lot of businesses, a lot of teams have had to discover that. But what is your style in driving a company forward, developing a culture when everyone is so spread out? Right. So we've really embraced work from home. We have a beautiful office in Folsom, California. It's gorgeous. There should be 10 people in it right now, even though we have, uh, I believe, 225 or so in the U.S. We have another 100 in Mexico, and we have a third party with 150 in, in India. Uh, so we are set up completely at this point for work from home. Uh, we do occasionally get together. We'll use our head office's location, or we'll go to a major city like Atlanta or Las Vegas, and we get together for meetings. My executive team gets together once a quarter. But for the most part, we spend our lives on Teams and Zoom, and that's how we interact with our clients to a large degree. We absolutely get on planes and visit clients, but for the most part, the insurance world has shifted to remote and uh, we've, we've embraced it. So I think it's important to recognize employees, to kid with employees, uh, to, to recognize all of their accomplishments uh, remotely and to celebrate their wins uh, and to make a big deal out of them. We do a once a month all hands and we recognize all of the big wins of the company and what we need to work on as a company. And people love this. We we attract employees every day from companies that demand that uh, they work in an office somewhere and that they sit in traffic uh, uh, and take time away from their families. So uh, I think this is something our employees embrace, but they're also thrilled to get together occasionally, and we try to set that up for a variety of, um, of purposes. I'm sure that leading a growing business can take up a lot of your time and take up a lot of your energy and probably demands a good bit of your focus. But I also know, Ian, that you're married. You have three children. When you're able to find the free time, what would we find Ian Drysdale doing? 
Right. So um, my kids are 18, 20, and 26. Um, so the uh, 18 and 20 year old are in university. So we're forever coaching them and spending time with them while they're still home. And I also go up to Boston to visit my daughter, who I'm exceptionally proud of. She's a software developer for a, uh, a very successful startup in Boston. Good for you. Ian, to thank you for joining me on the podcast. Uh, what we do here is make a charitable donation in the name of our guest. And so we'll certainly be doing that for you. And uh, tell me who we're going to be contributing to today and, and why that organization is important to you. So at the beginning of COVID, I was very concerned that given the service-based economy here in Florida, that people were going hungry. And that was something that I was extremely concerned about. Uh, service workers, whether they worked in restaurants or they worked in other kinds of tourist-based services, no longer had a paycheck and they were laid off. And so I looked up in Pinellas County where I live for who the top food banks were. And the St. Petersburg Free Clinic came to the top of the list. My wife and I donate thousands of dollars to the St. Pete Free Clinic on a regular basis and uh, try to make sure that uh, those who are not as well off or are going through a rough time or are perhaps still suffering from the COVID economy, uh, as things indeed do go digital, have uh, something good to eat. Well, that sounds like a great cause, and we're certainly happy to contribute to that organization. Ian, I want to thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure seeing you and talking to you, and uh, really enjoyed learning about your business and your industry, and thanks for coming on. You bet. Well, Michael, thank you very much. We appreciate your service uh, here at One Inc. as uh, our attorney. We appreciate Schutz and Bowen. Thank you, Ian. Good having you on. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of May I Inquire. I hope you'll join me for future conversations. For more information about Schutz and Bowen, please visit us online at Schutz.com. I'm Michael Silver. Thanks for listening. This podcast should not be construed as legal advice and is intended for general informational or educational purposes only. Its distribution and receipt does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Schutz and Bowen. The views set forth in this podcast are the personal views of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of Schutz and Bowen.